Welcome to See a Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today, in our third of a five-part series regarding salvation, with a general scope towards the nativity to be considered Christmas Eve, James discusses Christ as a prophet. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seeafire.org, or you can view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. Father and our God, as we approach the Christmas season, I ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the pronunciation of the incarnation of your Son. I ask that you fill us with your gospel, that you fill us with your testimony and your spirit, that we might see your good works, your provision, your amazing providence, and your outstretched hand throughout all eternity. Father, give us wisdom and give us hearts on fire for your, in your name to the end that you are glorified, now and forever. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. So what we are going to consider starting today is Christ's threefold office. As we've mentioned, he is prophet, priest, and king. He is the prophet. He is the our great high priest. He is the high priest, and he is the king of kings and lord of lords. Today, we are going to consider Christ as prophet. Now, one thing I briefly want to say is, in my study this week of, of the prophets, and, you know, without without going into too much detail of specifically the prophets, because what I want to do, God willing, is have a whole series regarding the prophets. The prophet, There's much to be learned from the prophets, and there's much you need to learn before even considering the prophets uh, that I would love to take some time doing. However, in my study today, this week, considering the prophets, one of the things I don't know why I never considered, but ultimately, and it's absolutely true, the, the prophets are all individuals, okay? So they're not carbon copies of each other. God doesn't send Moses and then like, you know, another Moses incarnate and then another Moses incarnate. These are all men and they all have their own characters, okay? Now, some of the prophets, many of the prophets were very reluctant to the calling. We've seen that with Moses, you know, he said, I'm slow of tongue. You know, and so God calls uh, Aaron to be the prophet, ultimately Moses' prophet, which later on Moses would likely regret, as we've considered, you know, the, the worship of the golden calf, and, and Aaron isn't very faithful, and, and he and uh, Miriam, uh, their sister, kind of rebel against Moses, and basically, who are you? Why, you know, why aren't, why aren't we equal with you kind of a thing? And so, ultimately, that, that works against Moses, so to speak. But again, faithfulness of God keeps that fine. Jonah was also very reluctant. I mean, he took off. He was called to go preach to Nineveh, which were really the enemies of Israel. And at the end of Jonah, it makes clear why he fled. Because he knew that God was full of grace and he was merciful. And ultimately, if Jonah went and preached there, they would repent and turn to God and God would spare them. And that's actually exactly what happened once he was swallowed up by the great fish. And, and then he repented in the whale, and we've considered um, that prayer somewhat briefly. However, he was very reluctant. Jeremiah, when he was first called, he was a youth. And so his deal with God is, 
you know, I can't go speak. I'm just a youth. And God says, don't, t- don't say that. <laughs> just because you're a youth, you think I can't work? <laughs> okay, I'm paraphrasing, okay? This is usual, you know, my paraphrasing. So that's what happens with him. Isaiah, remember in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe fills the temple. And again, when you are approached by the presence of God, you see yourself. And he pronounces a woe against himself. Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell with a people of unclean lips. And that's where the angel comes and touches his tongue with coal. And then after that, God says, who will go for us? Who will believe our report? And who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here, I, here am I, send me. Now, one of the things we want to recognize is in all of these callings, and we'll consider Ezekiel here somewhat shortly, that they all have to do with the mouth. The, the prophet is God's spokesman. Okay, now the offices of prophet, priest, and kings are all mediators. They're all mediators, okay? Ultimately, the prophet is mediator from God to the people. And thus saith the Lord for the people. Whether judgment, oracles of woe, or oracles of weal, which are blessings, like we've seen, and we will consider some of this, but as we've seen in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter of Leviticus, blessed are you if you, if you obey my commands, and all of these blessings, it goes through a, a, a ton of different blessings, and cursed are you if you disobey, and it goes through a litany of those, okay? So, that's what the prophets would be commanded to do. So, much of the reluctance was either their own supposed unworthiness or they don't want to pronounce these oracles of woe okay well we'll, as we've considered the suffering of jeremiah we will consider some of his his own he was always berated he he kept on suffering by the hands of these of the people not just the false prophets but the people who did who would rather hear the false prophets preaching peace peace because that's what they want they don't like to hear the, the judgment of God, just like we have in our own day. All of God, there are still, okay, look, there are faithful men even now. There are still many who have not bowed the knee to Baal. It's, it's a reference to Elijah, where he goes up against the prophets of Baal, and ultimately Elijah thinks he's the only one left. You know, I'm the only faithful one. I'm the only prophet left. You know, and God says, I have a remnant. There is a remnant that you don't know about that have still not bowed the knee to Baal. They're still faithful ministers. But we have to understand, it, it takes the Spirit of God, it takes the, the compelling of God for a man to gather up the strength with, through his Spirit to do this, which is a call for every one of us. Okay, Mo, many, All of us are going to be timid to preach the truth, to preach the truth to, to men and women. We must not shrink back in fear. We must depend upon the faithfulness of God and, and His providence, okay? And ultimately, that's what these prophets are left with, okay? So, again, these are spokesmen for God. The priests are mediators from the people to God. You know, that's why they offer the sacrifices and so forth. The king is really a mediator of justice, He's there to execute the, the law, ultimately, for, toward the people. Okay, But right now we are going to consider prophets before we considered Christ 
the prophet. Okay, so Jeremiah, cha Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 9 says, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. The men that God has called to preach or to speak in his name, to prophesy, to speak to the people. Again, this is all our gifts now. We are all called to preach to men and women. Thus saith the Lord. Okay, let's remember that. Let's put that in the back of our minds for a second. However, we are all called to this, but specifically, again, the ministers, but again, we are all ministers. We are all called to be priests in Christ, okay, and prophets and so forth. So, but Jeremiah is saying, I'm in derision daily. Uh, everyone's mocking me. You know, I, I'm, I have to come out and shout violence and plunder. That's what's coming. Uh, and nobody wants to hear it. And they keep on deriding me and they keep on berating me. And, 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 and so I decided I will not make mention of him anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm done preaching. I am done preaching. However, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. One of the reasons I compel us to read the Bible, to seek and to follow God through his word. What, I, what I, my desire is that you consume his word so that his word will consume you. That's what happens with these prophets. They can't help but preach the word of God. They can't help but serve God. They, they're, they have a burning fire within them that they can't not ignore. Okay, so... That's, that's Jeremiah. The second one we are going to consider is going to be fairly longer, okay? Ezekiel chapter 2 until the 15th verse of chapter 3. We're just going to read this and then we'll consider it. So when I, so when I saw, oh, I'm sorry. So when I saw, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Real quickly, the Son of Man. That's a term that Christ is, is, is like his, self, his favorite self-reference. He calls himself the Son of Man more than anything else. Now, just so you know, the Son of Man right now is kind of a humbling name. Okay, so basically he's saying he's the son of Adam. Ultimately, he's the son of Adam. He's the son of humanity. Okay, now in, in Daniel's prophecy, he talks about the son of man coming. This great one, the Messiah. It's an apocalyptic uh, book. Daniel's prophecy is all apocalyptic as well as, as Revelation. Apocalyptic means this is coming at the end of the age. Okay, so D Daniel prophesies about the son of man as well. So I, I, what seems to me is that Christ uses it kind of again as a dual meaning. First of all, I have come in the flesh, so I am the son of man. I am not, you know, yes, I'm God, but I've come in the flesh. I am altogether human, remember? Totally, completely human and completely divine. The two natures of Christ, okay? But he calls himself the son of man. And here, uh, uh, Ezekiel is referred to as the Son of Man. Son of Man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet and I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of Man, I am sending you to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. For they are, they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, 
As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words, or be dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech or of hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many people of unfamiliar speech or of hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive, it, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you, and hear with your ears, and go. Get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them. Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear, whether they refuse. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels beside them, and a great thunderous noise. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to the captives at Tel Abib, who dwelt by the river Chibar, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. The word astonished there really means distressed or appalled. So, now, the, the prophets would have different names. Remember, we considered Samuel was a seer. Now, what that implies is God revealed visions to these men. Okay, and that's how they, they receive their message. Okay, others, the word of God just came straight to them. Ezekiel, if you read chapter 1 and if you read the rest of Ezekiel, there are many visions. Okay, so this is, what, this is how God calls Ezekiel. Now, so he, he came to him and he, and he tells him, you know, and obviously the spirit entered him when he spoke to him. However, he's telling him, go to this rebellious house. Whether they hear or whether they don't, they are rebellious. If I sent you off to a bunch of foreigners, they would have actually listened to you. But the house of Israel will not because they will not listen to me. However, you go, whether they listen or whether they don't. That is the call of, for all of us. Okay, God will save whom he will save. But we are called to testify and, and bring the gospel to all men and women. Okay, That's what he's commanding Ezekiel. Now, this is not a gospel that he's commanded to give. The, this scroll is an entire book, and on the inside and on the outside, in other words, it's full of mourning, woe, um, and lamentations. So nothing but darkness, nothing but sadness, nothing but oracles of woe. There's no wheel in this. There's no blessed are you. This is just woe. Lamentation, mourning, and woe. That's it. That's all you're called to preach. You're not called to preach anything else. 
and go. Now, so, again, this would be a very difficult task to embrace. <laughs> this would be very difficult to say, okay, I'll go, here am I, send me. And so he's given this, this, this scroll to eat. Again, this is imagery, but he's given this scroll to eat full of mourning and lamentation and woe. You would expect it to taste very bitter. When he consumes it, when God makes him eat it, it's, it tastes sweet as honey. One of the things we must recognize, and this is why I've tried to emphasize this, the judgment of God is the goodness of God. We see it, and look, that there's a reason for that. Again, we do not desire that any should perish, okay? But ultimately, God is absolutely just through his goodness. So even these lamentations, even these mournings, even this woe is out of the goodness of God and is sweet in his mouth and he digests it. Basically, God is saying, get this into your bloodstream. I want this in you. I'm not here to teach you a bunch of information. I'm not here to fill your head. I'm here to fill your heart. I'm here to fill your soul and I'm here to fill you with myself. And that's what he's doing with Ezekiel. But when he receives this scroll, it tastes like honey. It's sweet, but he is called to preach these oracles of woe to the people. And God even tells them, some will hear, most of them won't. Basically, you won't even know the ones who do. Ultimately, everyone's going to reject you. Everyone's going to reject you. But I'm sending you. Now go. All right. Now, uh, Jeremiah, going back to Jeremiah uh, chapter 7, verses well verse 4 is he's telling the people do not trust in these lying words saying the temple of the lord the temple of the lord the temple of the lord are these remember we've considered the trisagion that's what it's called the holy 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 when when god is worshiped holy 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 and we've we've made the point that that the 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 hebrews when they wanted to emphasize something one of the things they did in their language was repeat it Saul, Saul, Samuel, Samuel, Abraham, Abraham, okay? But the trisagion is that God isn't just holy, and he's not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Very few times is, is, is a word repeated three times. Jeremiah is saying, do not trust in these lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, and the temple of the Lord are these. Let's be... Let's recognize where Christianity is these days. And basically, much of the church says the same kind of thing. The church of, the, the church of Christ is this. The church of Christ is this. The church of Christ is this. When none of them are right. The church of Christ is Christ. And that's, what he, that's ultimately what he's saying. These lying words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. The people continue to see these, these things and, and, and lose the Lord of the temple. Okay, in fact, in, well, we'll get to that. Okay, so verses 8 through 19 is, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Just like many Christians do. They come to the church, you know, they think Christ has now come to save us. Now we can just do whatever, you know, uh, we're delivered to do all these abominations. They say the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord are these. Meanwhile, they're bowing to Baal. 
They're worshiping all these other gods. And he's saying, will you listen to lying words? Will you, will you continue to commit mur murder, uh, adultery, swear falsely, burn incense at Baal, and then come to me and say, the Lord has appointed us to do all these things? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Remember what Christ did when he, when he made that court of whips and he flipped the money changers' tables over and he says, do not make my father's house a den of thieves. Well, that's where it comes from. Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, which we've, con we've, we've considered, and see what I did to it because of the wicked, wickedness of my people Israel. It was laid waste. And now, because you, have not because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house of, which is called by my name, in which you trust, the temple, and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. Again, Ephraim is another word for Israel. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry of prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Listen to the voice of God. Okay, let's listen to the voice of God and not of men who say, no matter what, no matter what, God will always hear you. No matter what you do, God continued to call them. He continued, rose up early and late, stayed around all the time, preaching to them, calling to them, and they did not answer. And now he's saying, okay, you want nothing to do with me? Fine, then you will not have anything to do with me. But don't start praying to me now. Don't start praying to me now. I've been calling you. I've been calling you continually. So don't intercede for them, Jeremiah. I don't want to hear this from you either. I will not hear you. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? Listen to what God is saying. Again, he is not a cruel, terrible God. These people are putting these things on themselves. Do they provoke me to anger? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? Ultimately, they are their own problem. God is not our problem. We are our problem. God is here to call us, to continually call us. And if we will not answer, he will shut his ears to our calls. He is the one who calls. If we do not answer, he will not hear our calls. And meanwhile, even when they, they want to make a pretense of seeking after him while they're, while they're doing all this, while they're cutting up wood, kindling on the fire, and offering these drink offerings to the queen of heaven, yet still they're trying to come to me. I will not hear you. Okay. Oh, and also, so considering the temple. Now, this is before the destruction of the first temple. And then again, remember, when they returned from the exile, they built the second temple. Herod rebuilt it, made it one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was amazing. They had these huge walls of marble. It was amazing. Very beautiful. Very great. And so, in, in Mark 13, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then as he went out of the temple... 
Christ, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. They're all impressed. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. We have considered somewhat briefly, which I would love to get into more in a separate study. However, the fall of Jerusalem in, in 70 AD, the temple is absolutely destroyed. This is one of the prophecies of Christ. Christ prophesied that the temple would be destroyed. Not one stone would stand upon another. And that happened. That happened with great ferocity. The whole city was laid absolutely waste. Very sad. Very sad ordeal. In fact, when Jews get married, I don't know if you've seen this, but they'll get the wine glass and they'll break it. It's to signify the destruction of the temple ultimately, but the destruction of Jerusalem. They look back to that time as well. Okay, but so uh, Jesus had already known about this and he prophesied about it specifically. Do not trust in lying words. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Do not listen to lying words. The church of Christ, the church of Christ, the church of Christ are these. The church of Christ is Christ. We are his body. We are one with our Savior. The, the church of Christ isn't these simple, mundane nonsense, okay? It's also not to praise and worship the Eucharist or worship the Lord's Supper or worship the Sabbath like the Pharisees did. Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. Christ is Lord of the Lord's Supper. Christ is Lord over baptism. So let's not make these things more than what they are. He is the head of the church. And he alone, not any of these other ceremonial nonsense. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 18, because we've talked about this, so I finally just wanted to give you the verses. Uh, verses 15 through 19 of chapter 18. This is Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. That goes back to when he was out, up, out, up, on the mount, up on Mount Sinai. He actually came down in a cloud and started to speak, to the pe and then people got scared. And like, no, let him speak to you, and then you just come tell, me, tell us what he said. Okay? And there's a lot more there, but that's what he's referring to. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So that's the promise. That is the promise that God gave to Moses that he will raise up a prophet similar to Moses, like Moses in a certain way. He's the prophet of the law. He's the giver of the law. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, and we'll consider that somewhat briefly. So, this is the promise that we've been, we've been referring to many times. Now, Hebrews. This is where it kind of starts. Now we are going to see somewhat of the transition from the Old Testament. You know, I, there are many. There are many I could have, I, we could have considered, okay? But we're limited in time. And so I just wanted to, I wanted to point out something of the calling of a prophet and the office of a prophet and the people that were called to be prophets, okay? Christ is the prophet. He is the promised prophet. Just like he is the promised seed, 
you know, it, when, when uh, God had cursed the serpent. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he, is he, whom he is appointed heir of all things, through whom he also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I love that introduction. Actually, that goes into all of his offices as prophet, as priest, as king. But today we are, we are considering him as prophet. So God, who at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So as great as the prophets and as essential and as necessary as the prophets, okay, that was great. And we, we, still, point, we still refer back to them, looking forward to the Christ. It even makes sense of who the Christ is. But, you know, so various times, various ways, God has used prophets. Now he's spoken to us by his son. Okay, let's put that in the back of our minds. It won't take long before we make the point of, in regards to this passage, okay? But, so, he's made him, uh, he's appointed him heir of all things. Through him, he made all the worlds. He is the supreme prophet. Okay, he's the supreme priest, and we'll get to that. We'll return to this passage. However, he is the prophet. Okay, now, so, again, John, going, let's go back to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word, the Logos, the Word, the Testimony, the Bible, the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, remember, tabernacled, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17, this is what I was referred to, referring to uh, just a minute ago. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay. As we go into this Christmas season, so the prophets were all called to say, thus saith the Lord, to, to be the spokesman of God. Christ is the incarnation of the word of God. So not only when he says, you know, you've heard it, it was said, you know, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who is, who is lusted after a woman in his heart, he's committed adultery already in his heart. Remember, we've made that point. He does not say, thus saith the Lord. He says, but I say unto you. He is the word of God incarnate. So he's not only the ultimate prophet, he is the, he is the prophecy incarnate. When we see, when we consider that incarnation, when we consider him lying in that manger, manger, that is the fulfillment. That is culminated in the flesh. It is no longer just this word coming from God. Now he has sent his word in the flesh. Christ is more than just a man. He is more than just a prophet. He is the son of God. And he is the incarnation of the Word of God. Let us recognize that when we consider, again, this Christmas season and any Christmas season going forward, he is not this meek baby in a manger, no crying he made. He is the incarnation. He's the incarnation of the invisible God where there is no longer any necessary you know, transmission of God to speak to his prophets or to give them these visions. He has sent his son. He has sent the word in the flesh. 
Christ is the prophecy. He is the fulfillment of all prophecy, but he is the word of God to dwell amongst his people, to become man, to, to take our stead. Okay, the, the, He is the fulfillment of all of what the prophets anticipated. Again, some of them had dual fulfillments. Some of them were, com- were completely, only, solely for him. But this is essential to recognize as we consider his first office as prophet. He is not only called to be a prophet. His word is himself. His prophecy is him. Okay, that's why when he declares all these things, he, may, he co- continues to point back to himself. When the Pharisees are accusing him of all this, and you know, Moses this and Moses that, he, can, he says, you, how do you not believe? Moses wrote about me. All the prophets, I am the fulfillment. I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill them. Indeed, not one jot or tittle will pass away before, you know, before the world ends. All of them will be fulfilled. Every single one of them. Not one jot, not one tittle. In other words, not one crossing of the T, not one dotting of the I. Every single word of God will be fulfilled. He Ultimately, it started with the coming of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, until the day of his return. Okay, but Christ is the, is, is the prophecy in the flesh. Simply put, that is one thing, but again, one of the things I think is essential to recognize is that he, he's not this abstract, he's not this man who continues on with this abstract words that, that come from God, and that's fantastic. Praise God for that. He is the person, he is the man, he is the anointed one made in the flesh of that self-same word. Okay. Now, and again, as, I, as I've told you, if you want to see some of the examples, Matthew verses 5, uh, 20 through 30, that gives many of those. You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, anyone who hates his brother and says to him, Raka, is, 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 is in danger of hellfire. Many of these things. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, you know, anybody who slaps you on the cheek, turn them to the other, and all these things. But he says, you know, Moses had written that law. And basically, he takes it to his absolute fulfillment. Again, let's go back to the adultery one, just because that's kind of the easiest one. You know, you've heard that it was said, you know, you must not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. That's in, you know, it's in the law. But I say to you, anyone who even looks at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Christ takes, takes it to its ultimate meaning. You know, it's not just that we, that we spare ourselves, you know, from, from our commitment to our wives. It is much more than that. We are devoted to our wives. And thereby, therefore, if, if, we, if we make this a rule, if we make this kind of a law where we're reluctant to follow, then we will continue to lust, we will still lust after women and therefore be committing adultery in our hearts. That's what typically happens. That's what typically happens. Christ, said, Christ is saying, see God in this law. What's he really saying? Do you really think he's just asking you to spare yourselves from actually lying with another woman? No. He's wanting to spare yourself from any any breach of the commitment that you promised under God to your wife or your husband, as it were. But 
That's what Christ is doing. He's bringing the fulfillment to its absolute outworking. Okay. Okay. Now, Matthew uh, chapters, uh, well, chapter five, so still in chapter 5, verses 3 through 11, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Where it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are your, you who mourn, for you shall be comforted. Blessed are you who are meek, for you shall inherit the kingdom of God. In all of these, he gives actually nine blessings. All blessing, ble- so again, these are oracles of wheel. Okay, W E A L. They're just bless- they're blessings. Okay, that's the fancy way of putting it. It's or- oracles of wheel. So blessing are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Now again, though, he he doesn't say blessed are, blessed are those who are strong in the spirit. Blessed are those who go around just saying, oh, I'm so filled with God. Look at me, I'm amazing. No, he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those, not who are just jumping around all happy and ecstatic. Blessed are those who mourn. And then he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they're they're sons of God. Not, Not peace talkers. Not peace talkers. Not peace fakers. Peacemakers. So, he's blessing he's blessing the downcast. He's blessing the downtrodden. Again, he will lift up the humble. He will raise up the humble. And he will bring low the exalted ones. So he continues to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and continually in that same theme. And then, in Matthew chapter uh, 23, verses 13 through 16. Actually, you know what? We are going to turn there. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who enter, who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Real quickly, using the name of God in vain doesn't just mean to refrain from saying GD. It's, it's suggesting God is anything other than who he actually is. That is using his name in vain. And that's what these Pharisees were, were doing, essentially. And that is what many of the clergy and many of Christians do. This is a warning. And let's hear what Christ, this this seemingly go-lucky hippie that goes around blessing everybody. Woe to you, hypocrites, fools and blind. He also calls them broods of serpents. Okay? He's not happy about this. These are the leaders. After the exile, we've, met, we've, we've mentioned this. The Pharisees were, were wanting to be faithful to the word of God. They wanted to go back to the fount. Okay? So, at first, they started off with, well, good intentions. As I've said, you know, that happens. And then they lose their way, and they lost their way, and Christ is condemning them 
with woes, with oracles of woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. The Pharisees were continually just trying to exercise the law, you know, according to the specific law. And, you know, if you ever went around against it, you will be struck down. Okay, and he says, you, you know, you, you haven't even, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, you know, y'all are very seemingly interested in that. Mercy and faith. You forgot all about that. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out the gnat and swallow a camel. We've mentioned that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. We've talked about that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. We've talked about those, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so... You also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the, of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if, I, if we had lived in the day of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those, those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, Brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Surely I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Let us hear the warning of the incarnate prophet, the incarnate word of God, okay? And look, I am more than happy to share the good news, okay? To share the good news, the gospel is Christ coming to bring peace, absolute peace. Again, I, I have said we will not have absolute peace in this life. The only peace we get is from Christ, okay? We will not have that absolute peace that we all need, that we're all seeking for, except it is found in him. It is only finally realized and actualized that side of the Jordan. The good news is that he came. The good news is that since we are in him, these woes, these oracles of woe are not upon us. We are those who are poor in spirit. Should we be in Christ, we are those who mourn. We are those who are the peacemakers, okay? So, as, as harsh as this sounds, it may, good news doesn't, isn't good news to indifference. If there is no woe, there is no wheel. If there is no curse, there is no blessing. That's just a fact. That's just a fact. So, we consider the judgments. We must consider the judgments. That way we know salvation. Okay? All right. So, Matthew 20, okay, Matthew 24, verses 3 through 14. He, now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will all these, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end, end of the end of the age? 
And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, as we do. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these things, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. For my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawless and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So, now, we hear of wars and rumors of wars. All of these things have been since the beginning of time. Okay, but Christ is ultimately saying these things will, be, will, con will become greater and greater. Now, this is why many will prognosticate that the end is near. You know, wars haven't been fought like they are supposedly fought now. I mean, seemingly there's no end to these wars. And so many people think he's, he's coming at any minute. He is coming at any moment. He comes according to the will of the Father. That time will, co that time will come when he deems it time to return. But he's saying all of these things will come to pass. They will hate you. They will hate you. They will kill you. They will beat you. But they will hate you for my name's sake. So, we do not seek to appease men and women. We seek to appease God. Men and women will hate us because we love him. Just like Saul. Saul was jealous of David because Saul was wicked and full of darkness. And he saw David was full of light and the spirit of God. And he hated him for that. Many will hate us if we love God. Let them hate us. Let them hate us. Embrace their hatred. You are filled with the love of God. Okay? They will hate you for his name's sake. He will love you for his name's sake. Alright. Okay, chapter, same chapter, verses 36 through 44. But of that day, and we've spoken of this, but I want to make something important here. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. For as the day, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, you will not know. It's going to come like a thief in the night. He also likens it to that. The two, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two, now, there's much to be said about much of the eschatolo eschatological, esch the end times studies of, of the church um, eschatology. And one suggests that there will be a rapture before Christ comes and they point to things like this. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the people of God will be, it doesn't seem like it in the book of Revelation, it doesn't seem like the people of God will be spared the tribulation. 
In fact, I don't know if it's in here, but let's, let's continue to read. Then, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if, here we go, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, that he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, it starts, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Remember, when we were considering apologetics and the absolute authority of scriptures, he does not know because God has chosen not to reveal this to anyone. So Christ will not, is not lying here. He spoke that which the, his Father gave him to speak, and that only, and that only. No more, no less. He didn't shrink back from preaching anything that he was, he was told to preach, but he also didn't, wouldn't leave anything that, that, that was commanded him to preach. This is something that was not revealed to him that because it sh must not be revealed to us. It will come in an hour and a time you do not expect. Now, if, if the master of the house, the men of, our house, of households here, if we knew a thief was coming, if we knew it was imminent, we didn't know when, we would shelter our house. We would take all the precautions necessary. We would move heaven and hell in order to procure safety for our households, not just for ourselves, but for all of our households. That's what Christ is saying. You know I'm coming. You know I'm coming. You don't know when. You don't know what time. You don't know where. But you know I'm coming. Set up your household. Set up your household. And it didn't say here, but it, it's similar because he does say that day will come like a thief in the night. You, 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 when you least expect it, the thief comes at the time of least expecting. It will be like the middle of the night when you're asleep. When you, have, when you are not on guard at all, you're not waiting for them, you're not looking out for them. That's what Christ is saying. Be ready. Always be ready. You never know when I'm coming. And ultimately, I'm here anyway. So be ready. Stay ready. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. But of that hour and of that time, no one knows, including the Son. I will return when my Father sends me. Be ready. Be ready. Now, remember when we, we started studying the book of Acts, in the second chapter, Peter's first sermon, he's, he starts to preach to the Jews. And what he uses, again, this simple fisherman, is now filled with the Spirit of God. And he looks back to the prophecies of Joel. He even talks about some of the Psalms of David to testify to Christ. So the prophets are also there to testify to Christ, to the incarnation of all these prophecies, of all these prophecies. Now, now that we kind of see more of, of that word made flesh, let us consider that 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, a son of David was born. Okay, and then a daughter of Levi was born in the same little village, in the same little town, and they both probably were, grew up together. They both probably played games together. Joseph and Mary, they grew up in this small little town, in this simple town. Nobody knew who they were except for this little village. 
You know, Joseph became a carpenter. Mary, a wonderful woman, a wonderful woman. And then, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, God sent his son to these simple people. Nobody knew anything about Joseph. Their, their names would never have been remembered outside of the incarnation of Christ. When that angel came to Mary, said, Bless are you of all women. You are highly favored. It's not because of Mary. Mary was, is a wonderful woman. I think, as, again, as, many, as much as I encourage us to find the heroes of the faith, there are also many heroines of the faith. I think women would be wise to emulate. Mary is de definitely one of them. But we have seen God work through servants despite his servants, not because of them. God is faithful. He comes to this virgin woman and tells her, the Spirit is coming and he's going to overshadow you. Remember in the creation narrative, you know, when, when, the, when the earth is full of darkness and void, that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. It's basically what the angel says. The Spirit of God is going to hover over you and he is going to fill you with his Son. My, his word is coming. His word is coming in the flesh. And then, after that, after, that, after he's born and he, and he is taken to Jerusalem, a prophet named Simeon, who God promised, you will not die until you see the salvation of Israel. He gets to see him, and he praises God, and he blesses him. And then he warns Mary, though, this child is here to basically wield a sword to cut the hearts of many. He will cut your heart as well. Mary and Joseph also depended on the salvation of their son, so to speak. Okay. So, as we continue to consider, to peek in to the nativity, this is all in anticipation of, of Christmas Eve, where, where, where all of this will kind of come full circle and, and, and will hopefully, God willing, see the fulfillment of the totality of all these things coming together. Christ is prophet, priest, and king, and shepherd. That's why we started it with shepherd. The threefold office of Christ is, is his authoritative office, but let's not forget that he called himself our shepherd. He is the good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. He is the word. Today we are considering he is the word incarnate who has come to do the self-same thing. He is also our great high priest who has come to do the same thing. He is also the king of kings and the lord of lords who, have come to do this, who has come to do the same thing. Christ, through this one Savior, has wrought absolute salvation. Not one jot, not one tittle is missing. He has come and He has fulfilled all of it. That's why He who was and is, is not, and who is to come. He is coming. He is coming. He, right now He's acting. He's fulfilling all of the jots and the tittles. Still, he has fulfilled that through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension. All of that is fulfilled. We now just await his coming. The Jews anticipated 
the coming of the Messiah. Before this kingdom, we got to go through judges and all of that. And we got to see this terrible king. Liken that to the Pharisees of sorts. Before the king of kings comes, before, it's a period of total darkness. And they are suffering at the hand of the Romans. You know, the iron fist of Rome and so forth. And then peace, the peace of God, the word of God to bring peace to his people. He also says, though, he's speaking contextually, but he says, I did not bring I did not come to bring peace, but a sword to divide father and son, to divide mother and daughter, to divide mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. What he's really saying is, yes, I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring peace to my people, okay? Who are who are fallen, who are sinful and separated from God. I have come to bring peace. I've come to reconcile. I've come to bring you to my father. However, Many will hate you for my name's sake. And therefore, father and son will be divided for, for my name's sake. We consider that blind man that Christ had healed and his father and mother totally threw him under the bus. He's come to divide. He's, he, yes, he is the peace of God. But right now, he's still the sword that divides. However, what God divides, he can also bring back together. Nothing is utterly broken. No one is utterly lost. He has come to call those who are His. Okay, So we must not assume the worst of anybody just because they're cast down, just because they're doing great wickedness and great evil. Many of us, before we came to Christ, were doing much worse. I could testify that of myself. You know, I don't have, wasn't a saint before I came to Christ. I needed salvation. And sometimes, the more wicked, the more full of darkness a, per, a man or a woman is when they come into the light, is far more, is far fuller of gratitude, far more grateful, far more endearing to their to their Lord. Some of them, though, only attest to that, like the drunkards who who find sobriety through Christ, ultimately only see Him as a savior of their drunkenness. He is the Savior of our souls. He is the Savior of creation. He's come to bring everything, make everything whole again. What we have broken, what we have cut asunder, Christ has come to fix, to repair, and to glory, even greater than it was. You know, when God created all things, that was good, that was good, that was good. This is all good. Now He sent His Son, the things that are created and that are for his saints to enjoy are far greater than the original creation. Even though they were good, God has sent absolute glory for his people. The word of God made flesh was born in very humble means, in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, not even a blanket. Not even a blanket. Had not a penny to his name. Remained hum humble throughout his whole life. Died. Suffered. He was the servant of God. There are actually very few references to the servants of God. Moses was a servant of God. But, I mean, interestingly, not many of these are called servants of God. Christ came to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. Let's, again, 
as we peek in, as we consider this Christmas narrative, as we consider and, and approach the nativity, the sea, the fullness, as much as we can comprehend, the fullness of our Savior and of our Father, who has sent Him in the flesh and who has now sent His Spirit for us so that we might know the glory of His truth, the glory of His testimony, the wonder of it all. Remember when, when the angel of the Lord, when you know Samson's parents are saying, you know, hey, what's your name? That we might, you know, remember you and praise you when you leave. He says, why do you ask my name? Seeing that it's wonderful. His name is full of wonder. We will never absolutely, you know, exhaust the depths and the heights of the glory of Christ. But it is definitely a pool worth swimming in. It's definitely an ocean full of glory and wonder and mercy without end. He is the truth, and He is the one who has come to fill us with God. Everything else only causes our lack, only causes us to be starving for the one absolute truth, to the one absolute purpose for which we were made. Namely, glorifying God and enjoying Him forever, which only comes through the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ and Him sending the Spirit for His people. Praise be to God, world without end. What a wonderful testimony. What a wonderful truth. What a wonderful, spectacular salvation. Who, wouldn't, who could make this up? What, is any, what else out th is out there that even starts to appear like absolute truth like compared to this? So many fallen men and women, people will look up to as experts. You know, we've talked something of that, so we'll leave that for another time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hear him. Listen for and listen to our Savior. All right, let's pray. Praise God. Father, <clears throat> as we consider the incarnation of your Son, as we reflect upon your will in bringing these things to pass and in your will to cause him to suffer and cause his anguish. Let us also remember you are not indifferent to that. You suffered as well. So Lord, let us expect suffering. Let us expect the vitriol and the hatred of other men and women. But let us also embrace and appreciate without end your love and your affection. Father, thank you for such a wonderful salvation. There is salvation found in none other. We thank you for your amazing providence and your abounding faithfulness, world without end. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.